This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it happened to be this lovely day, at least lovely here in Los Angeles, even though it rained like crazy on Thursday and Friday. And you know, for us, we complain. You know, for you guys, it might be a drizzle, but, but for us, it's pouring. Anyway, gorgeous day today. It was a gorgeous day yesterday. And uh, we're here. Let's talk pets. We're talking pets. To ask the best with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. We're here live for the next 30 minutes. We're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're here just to discuss anything you want. Um, we're going to give you two easy ways to get a hold of us. Number one, the simple way. They're both simple, but I don't like this one as much. It's a toll-free phone call. Area code 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Better that than the phone call is to click on, if you're with your iPhone, your phone, your Android, whatever, you can go on to into your, um, your web search, go on to PetLifeRadio.com easy petliferadio.com you can click on shows you scroll to ask the vets with dr jeff and there's going to be a link left to you it's a zoom link where you can join us live with your pets on your lap or on your shoulder wherever you whatever you happen to have or next to you if it's a 120 pound dog so um Anyway, ask me anything. It's like my weekly AMAs, my ask me anythings that I, I report back. You can find those as well. But anyway, so we like to peruse the news and I've been going through the news. And of course, of course, there are some things that there are certain things that are coming up again and again and again. One is the whole thing with pot marijuana. We're going to have two stories about that. And of course, COVID. What would a Dr. Jeff show be without some report on COVID? So first of all, there are more dogs that are being seen because of marijuana toxicity. As more states are decriminalizing the recreational use of marijuana, we're seeing more and more problems. Some of the things to look for are going to be agitation, uncoordination, nausea, sometimes even to the point of being comatose. Two rare, very rare instances, just so you don't totally freak out, are of death. And those were because of pot butter. Apparently pot butter is one of the most concentrated forms of the pot. And, and of course, in the pot, the problem is the uh, the THC. So one thing we don't see in dogs, well, I shouldn't say we don't see it. We see it with my Labrador. I see it all the time, 24-7, and that's munchies. So um, if we don't see it, dogs don't seem to get the munchies because of marijuana. They get the munchies because they're dogs. And you put food in front of them. Like I say, if I want a clean coffee table, if I, you know, at the end of some having some people over and I just want to clean up and there's all this leftover stuff on the coffee table, I just call my lab into, into the room and he'll take care of that for me in no time. So um, yeah, but the other issue was that Michigan law is now going to allow, this is, believe it or not, this is a jump forward considering of what some other states like California are, but veterinarians will be allowed to discuss the subject of marijuana with their clients. Still, they can't prescribe. Still, they can't sell products. That's like California. We can't do any of that yet. Um, though California has loosened up a little bit on if you have products that are made with our CBD from 100% industrial hemp, 100% industrial hemp, that, because why? In those products, there's no THC. The THC was uh, tetrahydrocannabinol. And um, that is the bad stuff. That's the stuff where when dogs seem to have a problem, it's because of the THC. 
and that is in the marijuana plants. So we know that there has been a lot of pro- a lot of studies been done. The problem is, though we see there's a lot of promise with the use of CBD and even sometimes THC, both definitely have has some benefits. The issue is it has not been normalized. There's no um, studies that are first of all it's, it's unregulated. So we have to have some normalcy, some consistency in dosing that every product, regardless of the type product, has the amount of THC, the amount of CBD, whatever the case may be, per volume for that medication or that that supplement or that drug. And uh, we don't have that yet. And um, also, there's no quality control. Uh, At least from the veterinary perspective, it's not good enough to start putting on the label safe to use for your pets. So still have ways to go. Colorado State University, CSU, uh, obviously in Colorado, it's been normalized for quite a while. They've been doing some work. And now in California, since things, certain things have loosened up, UC Davis is doing studies. And I, I feel that more and more veterinary schools are going to be starting to work with this. It's clearly that we know the benefits. And it's clearly that we are finding out more and more of the positive stuff. But because of the inappropriate sometimes use or the non-judicious use that we are starting to see more and more problems as well. Okay, so let's talk about a little COVID stuff. So the report says that, and we've talked about this before, but I'm just, it's reiterated because it's in the news a lot that SARS-CoV-2 rarely affects dogs and cats, which we know. Dogs, we think it, not at all. Dogs can act as a fomite. Cats, however, can show some signs of the disease. We'll get to a story in a minute. But the risk of humans being infected by their pets is so unlikely in a case, it, it's, it's almost nil. However, when it comes to cats, humans can transmit the virus to cats. And the story here is, actually there are two more cats that report. Up to now, there are like 54 cases of, of COVID-19 in a cat. A house cat in Arkansas and a tiger at, the, at a Minnesota refuge recently tested positive. Both are doing okay. So minor, minor signs of illness. They're both fine. And um, in both cases, we know that the infection came from their people. Uh, it was a zookeeper at the uh, refuge, and it was the owners and the cats. So the only recommendation I can give you, not to protect you, it's too late, you already have it. But if you have it, for however you got it, then you want to try to avoid, if you have cats, try to avoid too much cuddling, direct contact with your cats, because cats can get it. As I said, it's not been shown where they can then transmit it to somebody else in the household. You can, but they can. But interestingly, I would stay away from your cats if you or anybody else in the household has tested positive for COVID. Uh, I don't know how many of you, you out there were able to get vaccines yet. I already had my first. I'm getting on the 14th. In two weeks from now, I'm getting my second. You have to wait. Through, and the Pfizer vaccine, you have to wait three weeks. And uh, I just heard from our producer, Mark, that a, a congressman was positive, tested positive after his second dose of vaccine. He's asymptomatic, which leads me to believe, and, and again, I don't know enough about it. It was, it was just a quick story that when you're giving a vaccine, you're giving antigen, you're actually giving the enemy. And it, it's in an attenuated form, but it's there. So I'm wondering if, depending on which test it was, were they just getting a positive because of the vaccine, which was recently on board? I know, depending on the vaccine, how it's made, how it's manufactured, and what you're testing, whether it's the PCR, looking at proteins, whether it's the, it's the antigen in itself, which I don't know, then you could get false positives. In fact, we always say don't test an animal right after a certain vaccine because they're going to show positive. So I don't know more enough about this story with this congressman, but it was the Pfizer vaccine apparently. 
And I, I've heard, which is why I was happy when I signed up. I was, I opted. Well, I, don't, I didn't really have an opt. I, I opted for a location, and that location happened to be given the Pfizer. And from my understanding, right now, that is the safer vaccine. So with a higher degree of success. So who knows? He could have had it already before the vaccine. And uh, it just was you know, kind of just there. And all of a sudden it started maybe showing signs. I don't even know why he got tested if he's asymptomatic. But then again, when, when I had it, I got tested. I was asymptomatic and only tested because the hospital I'm at, a couple of people got it. They wanted everybody to get tested. So I got tested. I, mean, I was fine. And I was fine throughout the whole thing. But who knows? Okay. A couple of weeks ago, we reported about a recall of food. Fortunately, we have not had many food recalls in a while, but this one was a, about 20 some odd dogs had been sick or died. I think 11 died, 24 were sick from Sport Mix Pet Food. I've never heard the brand, so I can't uh, tell you much about it. Now it's at least 110 pets have died after eating this recalled food and another 210 have been sick because of it. And the food they found contained high levels of aflatoxin. Now aflatoxin is a toxin coming from a mold Aspergillus, a couple of species of aspergillus mold can produce aflatoxins. And when they get to a certain high percent, they are not only toxic, but clearly deadly. People too, by the way. And uh, anyway, it's so interesting when I was reading up on this, that there is a, and we're talking people foods now too. Aspergillus is common and it is allowed when, you know, because it comes in crops, it, it, it attacks crops up to like, I think it's 20 parts per million it's still safe to feed to people. So just so you know, and I'm sure you know this already, but we probably are eating toxins all the time. And it's all dose related. It's concentration related. When you get past a certain point, then all of a sudden it becomes a danger. But in low levels, it doesn't hurt us at all. In fact, some might argue that in low levels, it's good because then your body is building up some sort of resistance and it might help you if you ever subjected to these higher levels. So I remember I knew a doc once that uh, his kids, whenever someone around, this is back in the day, you know, when measles and mumps and German measles, when he found out that a neighborhood kid had one of these diseases, he would bring his kids over the house. <laughs> he said, let me get, if you get the natural infection and you get it quick and you're young and you're healthy, you're probably immune for life. So uh, anyway, very interesting. Here's one that I uh, also like. I love hearing these. And we've promoted this all the time. We know the dangers of obesity. We know that over 50% of dogs and cats in the United States are overweight or obese. And yet they still are because people aren't doing anything about it. So we're going we're gonna to scare the you know what's out of you by telling you, and we've reported it before, that overweight pets don't live as long. Their lives are shortened, which means lean pets live longer than their overweight counterparts. Now, so we know that more than half. So lean dogs live longer. Why? Because being lean helps prevent and delay the certain diseases that are age-related, debilitating diseases, dangerous, like arthritis, like heart disease, degenerative joint disease, cancer, diabetes, organ failure, organ dysfunction. All of these seem to be, I can't say spared, but delayed, statistically significantly delayed because of being lean, staying lean. So um, anyway, that's something to keep in mind. Before we go to our next question, we have Gregory on the line. Gregory. Hello, hello. Do you hear me? I can hear you now. Well, do you have a specific question about your pet? What's going on? So my dog has, um, it's like a form of, uh, it's like a thyroid issue where she's really fat. Okay, hypothyroid probably. If it's a dog, because cats get hyperthyroid, dogs traditionally get hypothyroid. And uh, what, how old is your dog? It's about 12 years old, a beagle. Okay, a beagle, good. And um, 
Is he overweight? Is he, what, what are his symptoms? Overweight, yes. He is. Okay. Now, one thing that, and you may not have the answer, but I want you to check out the answer uh, as we talk about hypothyroid conditions in dogs. Dogs also, actually more commonly than being truly hypothyroid, they get a condition called sick thyroid syndrome. What does this mean? That when you test a dog's thyroid level using the T4 test, it could be low, but not low because it's truly hypothyroid, low because of sick thyroid syndrome. So often when there's another problem going on with your dog, that your thyroid will be affected and not produce as much thyroid hormone, but only temporarily because of the underlying condition and not truly primary hypothyroid. There is another test, and this is what I want you to check with your doc or and see if they did this test along with the thyroid to confirm whether or not that low T4 was real. And that is called a T4 by ED, equilibrium dialysis. If T4 by ED is normal, then your dog is not truly hypothyroid, but something else may be going on that could be contributing to that low T4. And of course, beagles, by the way, as my Labradors, are in that list of top 10 dogs that are overweight, so traditionally obese. So um, as I just reported about weight in dogs, it would be a really good idea to start doing what you can to reduce his weight. Plus at 12 years of age, and I'm sure because he was diagnosed as hypothyroid, he must have just had a recent blood work. So you might want to make sure that everything else checks out okay. Now, if the T4 by ED does come back low, then he is most likely has primary hypothyroidism. And that is relatively easy to treat with some thyroid supplement. So again, you want to talk to your doc about that. So, so check for the T4 by ED. And if that's low, we need to get you on some uh, thyroid supplement. If it's normal, we need to start looking at some other things that might be causing his regular T4 to be low. Okay? Okay. I appreciate that, Doc. Thank you. You can always reach me back at Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. I'd love to hear you know, what you find out, follow up, and maybe I can stick some two cents in there. All right? All right. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Gregory. Take care. Anyway, we'll be back after these short messages. Don't go away. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There's no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. 
For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio's Ask to Death with Dr. Jeff. We had one more quick, quick uh, news bleep before we wanted to talk about what I want to talk about today. And that is another airlines has joined the fold. Southwest Air now are going to allow only legitimate service dogs in the cabin still for free. Other dogs, even support dogs, emotional support dogs, whatever. So those letters now from your psychiatrist aren't going to mean anything. Anyone else is going to have to, if it's a small dog, it has to be in a carrier that fits underneath the seat in front of you. Or if it's too big, it's got to be down in cargo. And uh, they are all cracking down. And I predicted this, oh my God, I predicted this years ago when the trend started happening and that was you know, going on, that people were taking advantage. And it was very clear that they were taking advantage. So um, I don't want to talk about today is something we see commonly and we call it PUPD, polyuria polydipsia and which means excessive urinating and excessive drinking. And it's a common, common presenting complaint. And just to you know, give you an idea, first of all, you wonder what comes first? It's the chicken and the egg. And the reason why it's PUPD and not PDPU, which would make more sense, I think. First, you're drinking a lot, and then you have to pee a lot. But in certain conditions, like kidney-related conditions, you are urinating out all of the urine because the, the kidneys are not functioning properly, preserving that amount of fluid that the body needs, okay, and urinating out the rest. So therefore, to make up for that excessive urination, they have to drink more to, you know, because of the thirst center in the brain is being stimulated. The other diseases like diabetes, with diabetes, there are two kinds of diabetes, both present with PUPD, a lot of drinking, a lot of urinating. And that is uh, diabetes mellitus, which is the sugar diabetes. And uh, one of the, the classic presenting complaints of a dog with diabetes is they can't stop drinking. The water bowl is empty all the time. I'm continuously filling it. And, and then, of course, urinating all over the place. And diabetes insipidus, which is the water diabetes. That's where there's a dysfunction between the thirst center in the brain and the kidneys and a, a hormone called aldosterone, ADH. So these cases where, like the former, the body isn't able to read what is going on with the hydration status, everything is getting urinated out. And then what's happening is they're to compensate, they are drinking excessively. Another disease is Cushing's disease. Cushing's disease is a hypersecretion of the adrenal glands where the body is secreting too much of its own corticosteroid. So just like a person or an animal who is on corticosteroids, they get very thirsty. They also their appetite increases. Same thing with dogs, but this time it's not coming from external steroids, corticosteroids. It's coming from the body's own. And again, that's a disease. And unfortunately, what makes it sometimes very challenging to treat is many times we see dogs with diabetes and Cushing's combined, and they kind of battle each other. Why? Because the excessive hormone corticosteroid hormone secreted by the adrenals from signal or not from the pituitary gland causes, has an anti-insulin effect. So you're trying to regulate insulin and then all of a sudden you get Cushing's on top of that and it's anti-insulin effect. So the insulin's not working. So what happens is these clients or for people are ending up giving more insulin than they need because of this anti-insulin effect. 
So that's a problem. Other simpler issues. Number one is just any kind of kidney disease, any kind of kidney infection, because the kidneys aren't working as well. So a lot of times these pets will drink more water than normally. And there's another one that is, believe it or common, most common in puppies, especially big, crazy, hyper puppies. And we call that psychogenic polydipsia. And that is, it is a water, they just P.S. like to drink. That's all it is. They love to drink water. So we have what's called psychogenic polydipsia. They love to drink. And because they love to drink, it's got to go somewhere and it goes out the other end. So a number of diagnostics tools that we have. First of all, with the urine itself, we look at the specific gravity. If the specific gravity is normal and can be normal, then diabetes insipidus is typically taken off the list and look for obviously bladder infections. We look for cystitis. Uh, if all those are normal, we can pretty much rule some of the kidney issues out. Then we, of course, when we look at the urine and we see high sugar content, glucose content in the urine, and then we take a blood and have a blood glucose over 250, which is the, the threshold. I mean, we've seen some dogs with BG's blood glucose, 500, 600. Those are dogs that, or, or cats too, that have diabetes. Interestingly, Dogs typically get type 1 diabetes, which is our juvenile onset diabetes, and cats typically get type 2 diabetes, which is not always insulin dependent. So these dog cats can sometimes be regulated just by diet and medication. And that is sort of the adult onset diabetes that in people is associated with obesity. So these are some of the things that we, um, that we have to deal with. Then another test, obviously, we can do to test for Cushing's disease. We have a test that is, we used to use an ACTH response test, and it's still used. That's an adrenocorticotropic hormone stimulation test. But we now like a test better, at least I do, called an LDDS, low-dose dexamethasone suppression test. And that is dogs that have the normal dogs, if you give them a little bit of steroid, it will suppress their own secretion of their body's own steroid. Whereas dogs with Cushing's disease, they don't care how much steroid is on board, so they're still going to secrete. So what they do is they you give a little very, very, very low dose of uh, corticosteroid called dexamethasone, and then typically a normal dog, their own secretion will suppress, okay, of cortisol, body's own cortisol, whereas dogs with Cushing's, they still are high, sometimes even higher, eight hours after administration. Therefore, that usually is a sign that they have that's what we call diagnostic for Cushing's disease. So there are, as I've seen, a number of reasons for this PUPD. When you see it, if you see it, it 100%, you need to see your doctor for some tests, your veterinarian, not your doctor, unless you have it too, but your veterinarian for some tests and a diagnosis uh, is often, I wouldn't say easy to make, but it can be made with the right testing, uh, the right history, et cetera, and the right physical exam of your dog. Because Cushing's dogs, for example, also have other things about them physically that you can often recognize. So um, if your pet has it, then make sure you see your vet. That's all we have time for today. And Gregory, thank you very much for your question. Please uh, let me know what happens with that thyroid. We will um, see you uh, next week. Thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. We're here every Sunday morning, 9 a.m. in the West, noon in the East, and wherever you are in between. Um, if you have any questions, you can always reach me at drjeff at petliferadio.com. That's drjeff at petliferadio.com. You can also reach me if you're not uh, on the AirVet Telemedicine Network. Download AirVet, and you can always get a hold of me on AirVet as well. 
Thanks for joining me here, and we will see you guys next week. Have a great week, everybody. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.